From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Do you ever see someone and wonder, what does that person do? (laughs) They seem to be doing so many things. So how do they focus on any of them? How do they all fit together? And then maybe the next thing you think is, and how do I do that? How do I have so many things? I've had people wonder this about me because I do a lot of things, as maybe you know, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, podcasts, book, speaking, startup advising, some other stuff. But I will be honest with you, I see this in other people and I have to wonder, ooh, what are they doing? And how are they doing it? And there is someone who I have gotten to know on Instagram who, who is someone who I always wonder this about. Her name is Eloise. My name is Eloise Skinner, and I am an author and an existential therapist. So I specialize really in meaning, purpose, values, and identity as well. But also, Eloise started as a lawyer and then got interested in journalism and has written a bunch of books. And then at what point did you study at a monastery or something? (laughs) Yeah, I was sort of going deeper into what the point of everything was, really. Because I had always thought, okay, get a career, get a degree, get a house, find a relationship, settle down, that will be your life. And quite early on, I managed to do all those things in pretty quick succession. So I was 22 and I was already in a really good corporate career and settling down and finding somewhere to live. And it just seemed very like a bit too abrupt. (laughs) And I sort of got to this place of like, oh no, surely there's something else or is there something else? And so that took me on a pretty much a decade long quest to find out what those other things could be. And during that process, yeah, I did a lot of things. I trained as a yoga teacher. Um, I went to like meditation and mindfulness training as well. And like you said, I spent a year in a monastic community. You can see why all this intrigued me, right? It's just, it seems so varied and also so immersive. And I guess the thread here is that Eloise is looking ways to be useful to others and also to find purpose for herself, which I think is something that we're all doing. And she has a new book out. It's called, But Are You Alive? Question mark. And it's an exploration of depth and meaning in everyday life. It's for people who are searching for these kinds of things that she's been searching for and the lessons she's learned from so many different arenas. So it's sort of a mix of introductions to teachings from things like existential therapy, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, monastic teaching as well, but also really practical, easy exercises that people can try out in their everyday lives. And the intention or the purpose behind the book is to help people find yeah, deeper connection to just the everyday experience of being a human. <laughs> so after getting to know Eloise <laughs> through the internet, basically for a while, we decided to actually hop on a call and talk and using her book as a springboard to talk about what it is like and how people can pull together a life and a career made of multiple parts, multiple things that they enjoy, feel passionate about, feel curious about, instead of that traditional career path of just finding one thing, of immersing yourself in one job. That's not for everyone. So what does it look like to do more, to do a lot? That is what we're talking about on this episode of Problem Solvers 
coming up after the break. I just moved out of an apartment and into a house for the first time, and I have been waiting for spring so I can finally enjoy my outdoor space. And you know what can make that even better? Sunday Lawn Care. Sunday is everything you need to get the lawn you've dreamed of. This spring, just go to GetSunday.com slash Problem Solvers to enter your address and get a customized plan created just for your lawn. No trips to the store or hauling heavy bags since they ship straight to your home. You just need a hose to apply Sunday. You can fertilize your whole lawn in less time than it takes to watch an episode of your favorite TV show, and they only use ingredients you can feel good about no harsh chemicals. Like I said, Sunday is offering listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $109 and you can get 20% off when you visit getsunday.com slash problem solvers at checkout. That's 20% off your custom plan at getsunday.com slash problem solvers. All right, we're back talking with Eloise Skinner about her new book, But Are You Alive? Question mark and how to build a life and a career based on many things, not just one thing. I started by saying to Eloise that I think a lot of the people who listen to this show probably feel stretched because we are interested in so many things. We're so curious. I think it's the reason why you become an entrepreneur or are attracted to that mindset and that lifestyle. And you don't just want to think of yourself in one way. You don't just want to do one thing. And so how do you actually start to create that life for yourself? How do you actually start to understand how to pull things that might seem separate together? I mean, it's a huge question. And it's really the question of how you want to design your life or your working life, which I think is maybe one of the most exciting and interesting questions you can explore. So yeah, maybe the first thing I would say is if you are feeling like that, I I know for a long time when I felt like that, I felt really overwhelmed, anxious, stressed, sort of disappointed in myself that I couldn't just settle, like really irritated with myself for just not taking the opportunities that I had to go into a career and just like get on with it. So I would say the first thing is maybe, well, you're not, you're definitely not alone. There's like millions of people who have done this before you and will continue to do mm. this kind of thing. And also that I think it's a really valuable thing to recognize in yourself, this kind of diversity of passions and interests and all the sort of multidimensional elements of yourself as a working person, as a human as well. The first thing I guess I would say is to figure out what you actually want, <laughs> which is sounds obvious, but I think is one of the most sort of fundamental questions that we often skip over because the next layer is maybe about the practicalities or, you know, what jobs you're going to do and the salary you want and where you want to live. But fundamentally, I think one of the questions is like, what is it that you're looking for? Or like, what kind of values and like, what kind of meaning are you looking for in your career or in your working life? Mm. And when you say that, you're you're thinking really fundamental, right? It, this It's the difference between what do you really want? I want to be a writer versus what do I really want? What I really want is to feel like I am making a living off of my creativity or something, right? Right? Like you're, you, you want it to be abstract enough that it isn't anchored down to one particular task. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of this overarching or maybe like underlying is better sense of like, what is it that you're looking for in lots of different roles and projects? Um, one method that you can use for this, which I think maybe even I 
um, wrote about for Entrepreneur a long time ago was the five why method where you start with a question and you sort of drill down. It's like a, I think it was originally like a manufacturing technique to find out where there were problems in the supply chain or something like that. But the idea is that you start with a broad statement of like, what is it that you want? And someone might say, okay, I want to be a doctor. And then you go, and then you start with why, and then you go down into, okay, I want to have a really safe, stable career that helps people. And then you go down again, you say why, and you're kind of going down and down and down until you get to the core of whatever it is that you're looking for. And it doesn't always work. It's not like a perfect method. It doesn't always get you to a perfect answer. But what it does often do is indicate where the true values are underneath the job roles and the titles and the responsibilities that you have. And for a lot of people, when they do this exercise, what it actually comes down to is a sense of like giving something or some sense of like service or some kind of greater, not necessarily like a great benevolent mission to save the world, but like something that connects you with either other people or like the world in general. So for a doctor, it might be you're helping people, you know, you're making people's lives better or something like that. It doesn't always get that answer for people, but often there's like this bigger sense of like what it is that you're looking for. And then once you have that sense, you can sort of work back upwards and think, okay, if I don't want to, maybe I know that I really want to help people or I want to make people's lives better in a very practical way by helping them with their health, for example, if you are doing the doctor example, then you can extrapolate sort of back upwards and think, okay, if I didn't want to go to medical school, maybe there are other places that I could find this sense of, if you know what it is that you're looking for, you can find other places to explore it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Why do you I think that this is an important path to go on, which is to say to start this journey very internally instead of externally, because I bet a lot of people might think, all right, well, I'm not fully satisfied doing this one thing, but you know what I really like is I really also like glass blowing. So why don't I do some glass blowing? And then also I think what I really like is, right. And then what they end up doing is cobbling together a pretty incoherent set of things that they're doing, some of which are making money and some of which probably never will, which is also totally fine. And it makes a kind of sense, but it also probably stretches them very thin. This, for whatever it's worth, is definitely been my approach. I have not in a meaningful way stepped back and thought, what is it that I want that underlies all the things that I'm going to do? Instead, what I have tended to do is just kept trying out stuff that seemed in front of me or, oh, I now have the ability to do this or now people are asking me if I'll do that. So why don't I do it and see what I think? And sometimes I like it and I keep going and sometimes I don't. And sometimes, of course, you just spend a lot of time on something and then much later figure out that it doesn't really serve for your purpose. But what you're suggesting is more intentional, but also, interestingly, it doesn't actually start with action. <laughs> it doesn't start with doing a new thing. It starts with spending a lot of time interrogating yourself. Yeah. And I think for what it's worth, I don't think that it is a perfect answer to any of, I think the big questions about your career and your working life, they're not going to have like a one size fits all solution. Like you have to start here and this is like how you do it. And then, which mm. I honestly think is what I believed it would be when I started on my own personal journey to finding meaning. I really thought there would be like an answer. <laughs> like it just If I worked hard enough, this is what we kind of been taught, at least our legal education system is like, if you just work hard enough, you'll get to an answer that will be like the right answer. But coming out of law school, trying to apply that approach to the real world wasn't entirely successful for me. So yeah, for what it's worth, I don't necessarily think this is the approach that will resolve everyone's issues. 
And I think the other approach where you just try things, I think that's also incredibly valuable. And as long as you're reflecting on those things and seeing whether they do actually fit, you're sort of trying things, but you're trying them with a sort of sense of awareness about how they're going and whether they fit with you and your values. Was something that you just said that reminded me of this really interesting insight that I had a while ago, what you were talking about was how you were taught in law that if you work hard enough, you get to the answer. I was talking to a professor of writing a little while ago, and she told me about this distinction that I'm going to tell it to you and it's not going to sound like the greatest revelation in the world, but I find it to be a useful construct. I'm just curious for your reaction to it, which is that she said there are well-structured problems and there are ill-structured problems. Well-structured problems have one right answer. So for example, two plus two equals four. That is a well-structured problem. Ill-structured problems do not have a right answer. And creative problems, for example, are ill-structured problems. There are a million ways that you could write something. But also, frankly, the question of figuring out what you want to do with your life is a pretty ill-structured problem. There isn't like an actual answer that's out there that you can find. And the point that you made there about what you absorbed from being in law, I think is probably very similar to what a lot of people absorb just from whatever their backgrounds are, which is that they've been told there's an answer somewhere. And so that means, of course, you got to go find that answer and then be satisfied with that answer. And that's not quite true because life is not a well-structured problem. It is an ill-structured problem. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you see it everywhere. We're told pretty much from the beginning of our educational journeys into our careers that like there will be an answer or you can find like find the right fit for you and like do this quiz and you'll find out what your perfect career is. And like you just keep going like that. And I think it's so tempting to think, oh, there is a, there's a route out there that is the right route. But like you said, nothing is going to map perfectly onto your life. And even if it does for a period of time, your life is going to change again. Then you have to do the problem solving thing again. And then you have to keep coming back to it. And I think it can be, well, for me personally, I found it very frustrating because I was like, I'm really trying. Like, I'm trying so hard to figure out like what I'm supposed to be doing here. And none of the techniques or tools or anything that anyone is offering is really working because like you said, you can't like squish your life into a box and just be like, this is the answer to everything. But yeah, so I love the idea. I love the distinction between the two different types. I think there are elements of your career that could be thought of as like the well-defined problem, where you, yeah, well-structured. well-structured problem where you can um, sort of get an answer to like, okay, if I need, if I want this type of career, I need to do this internship and then I need to like spend three years doing this. So there are elements that you can sort of map out like that, but the broader questions I think definitely fall into the other category. Mm. You had introduced me to a a phrase that had been around since the 1980s. So I'm a little late to it, but I first heard it from you in this piece that you wrote for entrepreneur.com, which was the portfolio career, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting idea in thinking of your career as a portfolio, as a collection of things rather than as a singular thing, which again, I think is probably very different from somebody in law. Somebody in law, if they're at a law, big law firm, that's going to absorb all their time. They are a lawyer, period. But most people aren't quite that. I guess in a way it's similar to the the way that we now would describe multi-hyphenates, but it feels like a bit of a way into at least seeing a very complex and abstract thing that we've been talking about in a more concrete way. So what I'd love to do is first talk about what that means and your guidance for how people can wrap their heads around if they've identified a portfolio career as a thing that they want, then how to, <laughs> how to make that in a coherent way. So let's talk about that. And then you've teased a couple of times and we've talked about it already a little that you've bounced around a lot in your own career and I've done a lot of things. And so 
I know that you, like me, like anybody who's doing this is in the constant process of figuring it out. But I think that once we lay out the portfolio career, talking a little bit about how we've been figuring it out would be pretty useful. So let's start with the portfolio career. Tell me a little bit about that concept and how we can start to make sense of it for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, it's been a, the term has been around for a, for quite a while. Although I think it's really gained popularity, especially maybe even during the pandemic years where people were thinking, okay, now I have my commute time back. That's like five extra hours. So I don't have to spend walking to a train or sitting on a bus or whatever. Now I have a little yeah. bit more time to do this other thing that I actually am really interested in. And for a lot of people, those things became side hustles or like little business ventures or even just passions that they really wanted to be part of their lives in a bigger way. So I think, yeah, it's gained a lot of popularity in the multi-hyphenate or multi-dimensional career, things like that have been, I think, a recent growing trend. But when it was originally conceptualized, it was sort of this idea that you could split your work up into different segments. So you would have like the work that you do that earns you money. And then you would have the work that you do that is like of service in the world. And then you'd have the work that you do around the house, like your home responsibilities and things like that Mm. and your passion projects as well. So the idea that your work could comprise these different segments. And I think maybe that wasn't recognized as much, like you said, in the more traditional sense of a career where you're just a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're you know doing your main career as a singular thing. But I think what the portfolio career concept does is give you a space in which you can bring in all sorts of different aspects of yourself as a human. And you don't necessarily have to put all of the pressure on one single job to deliver all of those things. You can actually have different projects and they can sort of feed different elements of yourself. Hmm. So, okay, if that sounds good to me, but I maybe haven't cobbled that together, let's imagine someone who is maybe a few steps behind us in that we've already surrounded ourselves with a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) But let's say that you haven't, or let's say that you really, you're doing something, it's fine, but it's not enough. It's not everything. There are all sorts of other things you want to do. Maybe some of which you know, maybe some of which you don't. Where do you begin? Yeah. I mean, maybe, I think maybe we've identified two possible approaches to this problem, which um, Mm. could be a potential, I think there's potential for like, uh, I don't want to keep introducing book ideas to you, but there's another (laughs) book idea here, which is um, the two different approaches to doing this, which is one, just come at it from and like try different things and like go for it. And number two is to reflect on it and think like, what do I want to do? And like, what are my building blocks? So I guess one approach would be you have different passions, just create some space. I mean, it's not always that easy, but if you can create some space in your timetable to try different things. So that could be, for example, if you know that you love writing, it could be like writing a blog post or it could be pitching someone a quick article or even like small things like writing a couple of lines every day that contribute to a bigger project that you're working on, something like that. But you're building it into your timetable in quite I think personally, it had to be quite a disciplined way if you have a job that's taking up most of your main hours. And then just trying to build those things out over time, experimenting with them, seeing what you like, seeing what you don't like, seeing what's successful, trying to put stuff out into the world is always helpful if you're trying a new thing. So if you're writing, if you're podcasting, like getting some feedback from other people can be really getting that sense of accountability, I think can be helpful. That's the sort of try it first method. And then I guess another option would be to sort of start from just the perspective of yourself and what you want to achieve and what you want to do and what interests you. So sit down with a blank piece of paper and think like, what are the components of say an ideal working day or an ideal day in the life of a portfolio career? If I had one, what kind of things would you want to be bringing in? And even if you don't know specifically, like you may not know that you want to 
lead a workshop on well-being or something, but you might know that you want to work with people and you want to teach people something and you want to like craft some materials to share with the world or whatever it is. So I guess that would be this, the way of maybe mapping out those like central elements that you want to bring in and then trying to get practical about them, thinking like, what is the first step I could take to kind of bring some of this stuff into my life? Yeah, a lot of what you're describing there reminds me of this piece of advice that I got that I've repeated a lot. And it came from Katie Milkman, who is a professor at Wharton who studies behavioral changes, wrote a book called How to Change. And I had interviewed her for my book. And she said to me that, well, in response to this question, which was like, what, what's the thing someone can do to start thinking about a change to make in their lives? And she said, this is going to be, it's going to sound really simple, but experiment because we tend to think of things that we do as long-term commitments, but they don't actually have to be. If we think of them as long-term commitments, we probably won't do them because it sounds scary to commit to something. I don't know if I want to do this. So what if you just think of it as an experiment? Everything that you do is an experiment. You're going to run it for three months. You're going to see what happens. Whether you like it or whether you do not like it, either way, you are better informed than you were before. And therefore, the experiment was a success. And I feel like in a way what you're describing there is that it's different approaches to it and what's the root of the experiment, how you want to run the experiment. But ultimately, let's just do some experiments. Let's find things that you like, because in the piece that you wrote for Entrepreneur, where you have these four steps on, on how to build a portfolio career, right? the first one was, well, I mean, the way that you wrote it was to make a list. What we're describing is, is either making a list or kind of activating a list of trying a bunch of stuff. But then step two is to evaluate it, which I thought was really interesting, where, you know, after you either put down a lot of thoughts about what skills or talents do you have? Do people recognize in you? What are your key passions or interests? These are the sort of list making things. But you can also make a list in terms of experiences. I'm going to try a whole bunch of stuff and now I've got a list. But the part two is to evaluate it, to then look at the patterns of the things that you were doing and see not just that you like liked one particular experience, but maybe that there were a couple experiences or a couple ideas that you liked, or if you made a list, just a couple words that keep showing up that speak to a broader pattern of something that is meaningful, because that's really informative. Because it's one thing to say, I liked doing this last Thursday. It's another thing to say, I understand why I liked that. And therefore, what other things might fulfill me in the same way? Mm, yeah, I love that. And I think that has been something that's been so helpful to me on my own portfolio career journey, because I have ended up doing so many things, many of which seem sort of unrelated on the face of it. And I've always found it really difficult to sort of draw those together and understand them a bit more as part of a unified whole. And I think that's been my journey of like trying to reflect on things and think, okay, it's not just a random experience, but like it's an experience that resonated with me because I like doing a certain type of thing or I like being with people in a certain type of way or I like teaching or whatever, like a broader sort of theme that's going on over or above all of the disparate things that I'm doing in my life. So yeah, I think it can be really valuable to, I guess the heart of um, most of this stuff is like noticing or observing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know too much about the job design field, but like the, the um, field of like applying design thinking to your career where you're really trying to, like, like you said, run little experiments and think like my career is actually much more flexible and open than perhaps we have been told at school or university. And instead of thinking of, of it as just like a series of steps that you have to climb to get up to some place that you're just going to sit and be happy forever at the top of your ladder, instead of thinking of it like that, you're actually thinking of it as a design process, like this process of experimenting and like gathering things together and seeing themes and drawing it and being a little bit more creative and like open and maybe even playful with it. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, more with Eloise. 
As spring arrives, I'm sure that you, like me, are super excited to finally get back outdoors and start moving. But to do that, we need nutritious, convenient meals that energize us and keep us on track to reach our goals. That's what Factor does. It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat up and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. Looking for calorie-conscious options this spring? Well, try delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. They offer delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles from keto to calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and protein plus. Head to factormeals.com slash problemsolvers50 and use code problemsolvers50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code problemsolvers50 at factormeals.com slash problemsolvers50 to get 50% off your first box. All right, we're back. And just before the break, to remind you, Eloise was talking about applying design thinking to your career. Yeah, right. Which goes to the step three of what you wrote in that piece, which is to get specific once you have some general themes or ideas of what you want to do. You suggested mapping out an ideal day in the life of your own portfolio career, thinking from a really granular level, what time does your day start? What's the first activity? do you spend time at your desk? <laughs> you know, like all this stuff, which is a really interesting way of thinking about it. It's I mean, funny because it reminds me of when people ask me what a typical day is for me. And the answer, as I'm sure it is for you, is there is absolutely no typical day. I mean, the typicalness is that I'm often at a desk, whereas <laughs> I think people probably think I have a more exciting life. But past that, the things that I do every day are totally different and totally random. And no two days are quite alike, which frankly, if I had gone through the process of stepping back and building something, when I got to step three and followed your advice to try to detail what a day would look like, the answer would have been that no two days are the same. Like I, I have the structure in the complete randomness of the structure that I actually wanted. So it's an interesting thing for people to think about. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, what would you say your kind of main overarching themes of your portfolio career are? So I would have said, and this is a bit of a mind shift that I, I went through that I think is useful for others to go through, which is that I had defined myself for the majority of my career as a writer. And I had become an editor at magazines really because that was a strategic decision because I saw that magazines were hiring editors, but they weren't hiring writers. That was like an aha moment when I was trying to figure out how to get into magazines in my 20s. But I had always really identified as a writer. And it wasn't until really the last maybe six years or so that I realized that writing wasn't the thing that was core to me. Storytelling was. And that's different because that now allows me to take the same skills that I developed, but then apply them far more broadly. And I came to realize that what we're doing here right now is a form of storytelling that when a company hires me to speak to their executive team, that what I'm going to do is largely stand up and tell stories, that the ability to pull together information into a coherent narrative and then deliver that to other people, that's my core skill set. And so now the thing that I think about is how do I build upon that in every possible way? And it's really interesting because I have started, for example, advising startups 
where now there's no storytelling in any traditional sense. I am not writing something for them. I'm not giving them a keynote or something. There's no thing that you might recognize as storytelling, except that I kind of still think that it is. And the reason for that is because when one of the founders who I am helping has a crisis and calls me and I'm listening to them, the first thing that I'm doing is I'm rifling through my head and finding other stories that I've heard that are like this. Who else have I interviewed or talked to who went through something like this? And then how can I take something of what they learned and apply it to what's happening now and give this person some insight that's drawn from someone else's experience? That, frankly, to me, is the exact same skill set. It doesn't look the same, but it is the same. And that revelation has totally changed how I think about everything that I do. Mm, I love that. And does it help you to distinguish between projects that you're going to do and things that you say yes to and things that you say no to? Do you run it through that filter of like, is this aligned with the storytelling? I don't think about it in terms of, is this aligned with the storytelling? But what I do think of it as is, is this aligned with something that I have a natural approach to? What I don't want to do is take on a project that I know is going to require more work than it's going to compensate me because my time is stretched. And so I need to take on things that feel like they build coherently upon the things that I am already doing. So sometimes people will ask if I'll do something or participate in something. And I don't see a way in which the natural skill sets that I've built give me an easy way in, which isn't to say that I couldn't figure it out, but I'm, it feels too far adjacent from the stuff that I do. And that's the filter that I'm using. Mm. Do you, so tell me, I mean, you know, we've, we're probably at that part where I've teased, <laughs> which is let's talk about our own lessons here. I, I just shared a bunch of mine, but tell me how you have thought through what the through line is for the things that you do, which are very varied and how they cohere and maybe the stuff that you're still trying to figure out. Yeah. I think I haven't had a huge, as kind of clearly as you described it, I haven't had a huge shift yet in my mindset. I've definitely moved away from lawyer, which is why I was previously before. And I think, I mean, one thing that comes with this mindset shift is a whole thing around like identity and branding and who you are as a person, like in the public, as well as just for your personal sense of like what you're doing in the world, but also who you present yourself as and who other people know you as and what you're known for. That kind of thing I found really, really difficult. Maybe one of the most difficult things of trying to redefine myself to other people as well. And as much as you can be like very flexible and playful and open with your own career, it's quite hard to bring that into like more of a public space as well, especially if you're trying to write things for people or you're trying to speak or you're trying to teach and things like that. People can really only, if you give them a very clear brand identity of who you are, say like a lawyer or a teacher, um, it's quite hard to reformulate that and sort of shift that portfolio idea over time. So yeah, I would say for myself, definitely one of the main themes is like helping people find meaning and purpose in life, in work, in their careers, in like well-being as well. And I think maybe that's the fundamental feature of what I do. But in terms of how it's applied, I see myself really as more of a teacher than an innovator or like a new ideas person. I see myself as more like trying to pick up on previous traditions and cultures and sort of teachings and practices and share them with people now, which is what kind of my favorite thing is to do. But yeah, in terms of what I'm still struggling with, as you know, I find it very difficult to present that story to people in a straightforward way. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, I, that's a very hard thing for people to do is to explain themselves. And I think, honestly, part of it, and this is coming from personal experience, is that you can't 
figure out exactly how to shape people's perceptions until you figure out what people's perceptions are for. Mm. Like, What is the tool that you're looking for? What, what's the advantage or what's the practical application of people's perception? Because, you know, in a way, who cares? Right? Uh, you can, you know, you, you can write books and you can teach yoga and you can practice psychotherapy. You could do all these things. And as long as you have people in front of you who value those things or value that particular thing that you're doing, then it, you know, it doesn't really matter that they understand some fuller picture. But at some point you might figure out, oh, shaping perception in this way becomes a tool that helps one part of this or multiple parts of this. And that's something that I came to figure out. For a while, I was doing a lot of different things and they didn't totally cohere. And then I made some decisions about which ones mattered to me more than others. And then also how shaping myself in one particular way led to new business and led to a kind of propulsion of audience growth and then that audience growth turning into other things. But that, that took a long time. And so I, you know, it's funny because explaining it and having a coherent narrative around it feels like it's really important. And I think that it, it is in a way, but you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth to, to apply something that we talked about at the very beginning, which is to keep asking why of something, why is it important? Right. And the answer is because it could be important because possibly that awareness becomes a tool that serves some other purpose. And if you don't exactly know what that is yet, then it's hard to craft it. But that's why we keep going forward, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, sort of asking what the point of it all is, is really valuable, actually, because we get, and I'm, I'm not sure if this problem was around so much when Charles Handy sort of developed the portfolio career idea in the 1980s. But now if someone Googles you, they want to know, okay, you've got consistent Instagram and TikTok and like everything says the same thing and everything has the same little, and like the little LinkedIn headline that you have matches your website and blah, blah, blah. And so I think now you're trying to define yourself and redefine yourself in several different places. And that sort of causes a bit of pressure in terms of like, but who, like, what should I say that I do? Like, how do I capture this whole thing? Yeah. But then I guess it does come back to the question of like, yeah, what is it actually for? Like, what is the reason for doing and what do you need it to achieve? I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, what, what I found is some of this stuff is important and some of it is important later, right? It's like, you don't, you don't live it all at once. And so the, <laughs> I had just recently, I, I rebranded my newsletter and I rebranded it as this thing called One Thing Better. It used to be called Build for Tomorrow, which was aligned with my book and podcast, uh, this other podcast that I was doing. And and so all my other stuff has yellow in it. Like my, my website is black and yellow. And so a lot of the other design aesthetics of other things that I was doing were black and yellow. Where did black and yellow came, come from? It came from that I spent a lot of money on some web developers and they built a website and that they made it black and well, yellow and I liked it. And then we just kind of kept using black and yellow. And so I then rebranded my newsletter and I rebranded it to one thing better. And I used this illustration of a car like driving off of a knotty, like a road that had been tied in a big cluster of a knot and then flying away. It has like little wings and it's adorable. And it's just, it's a little illustration that my friend Kevin made like a couple of years ago when I was trying to de design something that didn't come together. And he drew this and like texted it to me and I liked it, but he drew the car green. And so the, so the car was green and I made this logo with one thing better with this green car, even though my colors are all black and yellow. And I remember my, I, my assistant, Adam, 
asked me as we were trying to design the newsletter, he was like, are you concerned that it's not black and yellow? Like maybe we should try to make it black and yellow. And he actually did. He like brought it into Canva and he changed the colors. And I was like, you know what? I don't really like it black and yellow. And I don't think that it matters. Like, I think that this is a level of overthinking of coherence mm -hmm. that literally no one else will notice or care about. And that sometimes we just spend way too much time thinking about the things that we think are important, but that other people don't even notice. And so the whole point of this, which is a very long way of getting here, is that I think we need to give ourselves some slack to just figure stuff out with the expectation that people will take what we do pretty much on face value and that we still always have plenty of time to tell a coherent story. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I love that example. And I was just thinking about, from my perspective, your career, like I obviously know that you do so many things. And if someone asked me like, oh, what does Jason do? I'd say like so many things. And then I'd like <laughs> name a few of them, but I wouldn't have like a, I wouldn't, say like, oh, he's this, this, and he's this and nothing else. Like that is the entirety of his life. Because I feel like you come across as someone who has a range of things. So maybe, maybe then it's okay for you to just put yourself out there as someone who has like lots of different, like a portfolio career really, um, with a few main sort of goals and ambitions and fundamental building blocks, but space for other things as well. Maybe. Guess we'll find out. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> uh, Eloise, this is such a delight. Where can people find you and find the book? Yeah. I mean, people can find me on my website, EloiseSkinner.com, um, on Instagram or I was going to say TikTok, but I'm not very, I'm not super, I'm not super work orientated over there. And the book is anywhere books are available. And the title is, but are you alive? Question mark. That's all for this week, but hey, let's keep the conversation going. I write a newsletter called One Thing Better, where every week I give you one way to improve your work and build a career or company you love. You can subscribe for free at jasonpfeiffer.com slash newsletter, jasonpfeiffer.com slash newsletter. And if you do, you should definitely reply and say hello. I promise I'll get back to you. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you do not miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.